So today is uh, my sobriety story. And I've never told this story in full to anybody outside of my sort of personal circle. Uh, and I have been asked it often, fairly often, I would say. Um, you know, maybe every couple of maybe a couple times, a few times a year, something like that. It's not a not a super common question, but it comes up. And, you know, as always, I'm happy to share it here uh, because we have a relationship that's a little bit more intimate and uh, reciprocal than just kind of the general public on the internet, <laughs> which is not really where I feel compelled to, you know, debut this story. Um, that said, you know, some of the things I talk about today are going to be um, maybe challenging for some of you to hear. So that's another way to say trigger warning. Uh, I will be talking about anxiety, depression, self-harm, substance abuse, uh, and various traumas of that sort. So if that makes you too uncomfortable to listen, then uh, you do not need to. Uh, for the rest of you, we'll dive into those things soon. Um, and I think on a personal note, I would mention that I'm not uncomfortable talking about any of this. Uh, and I actually really appreciate when people care enough to ask and to listen and to want to know and to want to discuss um, challenging topics. You know, it's the same way that I feel about talking about death. Um, I don't really uh, enjoy talking about <laughs> superficial things. I actually love to talk about the really meaty stuff and the why and the um, driving forces behind our lives. So some of these things aren't pretty to talk about, um, but they're my life. So with that, we will dive in. Uh, so my sobriety story begins as a tiny little um, child around the age of three. Uh, I was born to very loving parents um, who hated each other <laughs> and um, could not stay together. Uh, so uh, when I was three, they began their divorce which lasted uh, a full year, unfortunately, and was preceded by a bunch of disagreement and, you know, fighting. And I remember one of my earliest memories is like police cars at the house and, you know, just destabilizing things for a little kid um, to experience. And um, unfortunately, from the ages, you know, three and four, and these are very formative years where we are establishing our attachment bonds and our concepts of security. And um, I was totally, my life was transformed by that period of time. Uh, I developed really bad separation anxiety. Um, I would throw up whenever I was left places, schools, daycares, friends' houses, um, every single night when my parents, you know, tucked me into bed. Uh, I was afraid that they were going to leave me and never come back. Um, it was really, you know, there was very much a sort of before and after that period of time. 
And um, there was the year long sort of divorce. And then the rest of my childhood, you know, until I was 18 and left home, um, we were we went back and forth between mom's house and dad's house uh, multiple times per week. So I also developed a lot of learnings, I would say, and experience with non-attachment and adaptation and, you know, a lot of different things that I won't actually talk about today, but I'll talk about, you know, in the future and more of my writing. Um, But it really, you know, affected who I am to kind of have a home base that was always changing. And, um, you know, when I was three, four, and, you know, during that sort of destabilizing period, and my, my parents were fighting, and um, I got a new home with my dad, and I had my mom's house, and, you know, I started to be raised in these homes, and um, at my mom's house, uh, there was nearly no alcohol, um, so growing up, my mom would occasionally have a glass of wine. Um, my grandparents drank, you know, too much, never, never, you know, so much that it was sloppy, but it was just like, you know, something they did, but my mom did not. And, or not that I could see. And at my dad's house, um, unfortunately for as long as I can remember, um, my dad has been an alcoholic. It was a, it's a, it's a lifelong, um, struggle it became a lifelong struggle for him after you know he became an alcoholic so um i grew up primarily in an you know an alcoholic home quote unquote um my primary caregiver which was my dad um was an alcoholic and i had you know both the gene the nature and the nurture right so hypersensitized to it very aware of how um an alcoholic operates and, and then also, you know, over time, realizing that I have this proclivity as well. And um, I think because of that early separation period as well, I was, um, you know, highly, highly sensitive because my sort of safety depended on understanding my environment. It's a sort of hyper vigilance, hypersensitivity, anticipatory mindset. It's, you know, again, like I mentioned, it's defined my life. Um, but it made me again, hypersensitive to my primary caregiver, which was my father. And so I was learning, you know, watching him understanding subconsciously and then also very consciously because, um, his moods would change and things would get dangerous or they would be, you know, all the things that they can be dysfunctional, volatile. And, um, you know, so I just, kind of soaked that in because I needed to understand it for my safety. And also because, you know, um, that's what happens when you're a little sponge of a child watching your parent. Um, so, you know, there was also, um, a lot of partying at my, at my dad's house. So every weekend, not every weekend, but most weekends, you know, my parents would party, um, with other adults that were friends. Um, we would do family vacations with other, uh, you know, families. And I had a lot of experience of just seeing adults get drunk (laughs) often and, um, cleaning up after them, you know, and as a kid, at some point you're just like, whatever, they're just being stupid. But there are also points in time where it's very scary because you're not old enough to drive. They have to drive you. 
you're somewhere and you can't get home. They are your only ticket home and you know that they're, you know, inebriated. Um, and I think it's just scary as a young person to see your older safe person um, incapacitated. So again, this is, there are layers of this that <laughs> been working out in therapy ever since. So, you know, I had a lot of experience kind of seeing it and being around it. Um, and it wasn't always negative, but the, the tone of the home that I grew up in for most of my life was volatile, angry, unsafe, and very oppressive. Um, needless to say, by the time I was old enough to kind of figure things out around the time I was an early teenager, um, I had the anxiety that I've you know had ever since, and I became very depressed. And um, I hated being at home. I hated being at school. Uh, we changed schools around that time too. And I just kind of, I was looking at my life and I was like, I have to do this for six more years, you know? And so I was literally counting down the years until I could leave. Um, and every single day was really depressing for me. I think I also, you know, because I lived in the Pacific Northwest, I think I didn't realize it, but I had, you know, seasonal affective disorder, especially understanding how affected I am by light. But, um, generalized anxiety uh, in retrospect. Well, I'll talk about some of that later. Um, definitely depressed. And um, I started self-harming in junior high. I don't know exactly what age that is, but again, like young teenager. And then around the age of 14 or 15, um, I discovered for myself alcohol. I had a you know boyfriend at the time who was like, you're home alone. Your dad has a liquor cabinet. Like, why are you not in the liquor cabinet? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like, should I be? It's like, yeah, you should be. So, um, you know, I had my first like real, I tasted it, of course, but I had my first like, oh, I'm going to take like a swig of vodka and see what happens. And, you know, what happened was I was like, oh, Wow this makes me feel not anxious, not shy. I was very shy because I was so self-aware. I was aware of everybody all the time because of the things I've described. Um, and anybody who has, you know, this kind of relationship with alcohol will understand, or any other substance will understand, you know, when you have it, you realize, you know, this is dangerously, quote unquote, good for me, right? Like it was like a kind of balm that made all of these things that I was dealing with, anxiety, depression, you know, fearfulness, um, you know, self-consciousness, all of it just went away. And um, so I started using it as a way to um, self-medicate, you know, from, from then on. So I was really young, you know, 14, 15 years old and, um, nobody knew except my boyfriend, um, and maybe like some close friends for a long time. I wasn't drinking all the time. I wasn't getting drunk, but I was kind of using it like a medicine and I was using it at inappropriate times. I was doing it at school, um, for example, you know, and, um, and again, just was like, this makes these, you know, sort of social interactions that I'm so uncomfortable with 
or these difficult, you know, experiences easier. Anyway, you get it. Um, so, you know, I never really got in trouble. I was, I was valedictorian. Um, I, I just, I've, I lived a sort of double life for a very long time, you know, like straight A's valedictorian. I had like over a 4.0, you know, GPA, um, was doing like college classes early, you know, all that, all that sort of stuff. Um, playing sports, doing music, um, tutoring kids. Uh, and then at the same time was very unhappy and disconnected from my peers and everybody else. And all my friends were kind of, you know, troublemakers and outcasts. And I never really felt like I fit in. And so this sort of shadow side of things involved um, alcohol, then eventually, you know, other drugs that I would, I was experimenting with and definitely became dependent on, you know, at certain periods of time. Um, that kind of continued through college, you know, like got great grades, did all the things, had a, had a steady job, had like two boyfriends at the same time, which is another story for another time. Um, and even they represented, you know, this sort of double life. I, you know, had this kind of desire to be creative, to work in fashion, to take photos, to style, to write, um, and then I had this like practical side that was, you know, like you need to go to business school, which is what I did. Um, you need to, you know, have a real job working in communications or something like that, which I did, you know, and so I tended to follow the, the like responsible side, but that made this like creative rebel side feel unsatisfied and, um, and needed to be exerted and it exerted often with um, the, this other boyfriend that I had or, um, with too much alcohol, uh, or with drugs or with kind of, you know, running off and, and letting off the energy and that for a while. Um, but all, you know, long story short, all through college, um, you know, I was, I was drinking too much, like m many people do, um, never really, never really worried about it. Um, but it's not cute. Right. And, um, I was always aware of the fact that I had the gene and I had grown up in this home and that I was playing with fire, basically. Um, also, while it made my anxiety go away and it made my depression go away and it made me feel, you know, all the things that makes us feel in the moment, as we all know, after the fact, it made all of that worse. So it was terrible, terrible for my mental health. And I've come to realize like, I'm such a sensitive human being. The fact that I was just like, like ever getting drunk on any regular basis is just awful for our brain chemistry, awful. And so I'm like, so sorry in retrospect that I did that. But of course, you know, we're kids, like whatever, we don't know. Um, but um, college, you know, college happens. And at the end of college, I fall in love with somebody really amazing, like husband material. Everyone, everybody wanted me to marry him. He was, he was, he was very fabulous. Um, and so we go off on this romantic, like five year relationship or something. And it involves drinking lots of wine. <laughs> like, you know, again, it's like, we're still young. We're being romantic. We're on this like whirlwind of falling in love with each other for, you know, <laughs> a lot of it. And, um, we drink a lot of wine, you know, it's like part of what we do. And that, you know, at that point I started to realize like, 
this is not sustainable and it is really bad for my health, but it's really hard for me not to do right. It's really hard for me not to do. There was no sober scene at all at that time. Not even close, no non-alcohol. Like you would just be scorned. I mean, you still are in lots of places. If you wanted to order something non-alcoholic, nobody didn't drink. Um, it was part of this, like, you know, part of our relationship And also when I didn't feel good, anxious, or, you know, existentially concerned or whatever, which was often the case, um, you know, made things better. It's the same story that I think so many people have. Um, So at that point, and when I mentioned the existential part, it's important because at that time in my life, I was living in Seattle. I I was working at Microsoft, had this great, you know, boyfriend. We had a beautiful place that we lived. And I was doing the, like, the expected path, right, of, you know, being responsible and living in this certain way. And some part of me was like, no, (laughs) this is not how it goes. This is not how this story goes. It's too soon. It's not right. You are, you've been on a mission to go to New York to do bigger things it's not time to settle down. And yet I was really like, you know, back and forth. I was like, but this is the guy, like, this is the relationship. You know, he felt the same way. And my grandma and my mom, and they were all like, you can't get married. You gotta do the thing. Um, so essentially I was like very, very uneasy. Um, I ended up having a very bad panic attack, um, on the way to work one day that was, you know, really kind of the culmination. It was a version of a nervous, nervous breakdown. I ended up in the hospital. Um, and it just kind of, and then I ended up, um, on medication for my anxiety after that for a while, for about a year. Um, and that didn't stop anything necessarily. It just kind of, it was like a stick in the spokes sort of slowed the roll, you know, and it's like, okay, this isn't working. Um, I need to chill out. I need to regroup. And, um, I don't know how long it was, maybe another year or two later. And that boyfriend and I, um, broke up because we acknowledged the fact that I was leaving. I was going to New York. I was not done. I was not going to stop there. We weren't going to get married. We weren't going to have kids. Um, I had to go. It was bitter. I mean, bittersweet to say the least, it was totally fucking heartbreaking. Um, I felt like I lost half my body. I did end up losing a ton of weight. And one of the ways that I grieved that um, was by running, which is my go-to, you know, for mental health and writing. And I ended up writing a novella about that, that love story. Um, But when we broke up, I, I just, I think I was grieving so hard. And also when I'm alone, when I'm left to my own devices, my lifestyle becomes extremely healthy. Like I don't drink, you know, by myself. Um, I don't like, I, I just become extremely healthy. You know, it's like, if no one's in my way, like I'm going to do everything perfectly or whatever. So, um, 
I lost a ton of weight. I was running like too much, like multiple times a day. Um, and I was getting rid of everything that I owned because I was moving to New York. I just kind of disappeared. I lived in a little like cottage near the water and wrote and took naps and ran and worked and sold everything. I sold all, you know, all my belongings, my car. I'd like drop things down garbage chutes. It was this crazy, just purge. And I was, I wasn't sober, but I was like close to it. Sorry, I'm trying to keep this on the like <laughs> sober story track. I was close to it. I was single. So like, you know, I would, I would see somebody here or there and like, we would have some drinks or, you know, but I was um, pretty close to sober. And like a week before I moved to New York, um, I think I had been, you know, on this like purge and, and, you know, cleanup track for a year or so, something like that. Like a week before I moved to New York, I met somebody else and we fell in love like immediately. <laughs> and, um, and this person was a bartender. So <laughs> um, we fell in love like hard and I moved to New York and then about a month and a half later, he came to um, he hadn't necessarily been planning on it, but it was like that. So he moved, he moved to, and he moved in with me and we were like, we're going to figure out New York together. And New York was like the wild west and he was a bartender. So, you know, bars in Seattle closed at, um, 2am or midnight back then. I think it was midnight and here's New York staying open till 4am was unheard of. I was like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> and, um, so he, and of course we're broke, right? Because who, who moves to New York with money or belongings or anything. And, um, so the, he, and, and we're in love and, um, being hooligans, you know? So we're like doing whatever we want. We don't have jobs. We're trying to find jobs. We're like, you know, just it's the wild west. It's the wild west. We're like going to fashion parties and, you know, staying out late and, you know, drinking at his bar and like going to this little place that we love in the back and like planning our futures and just drinking too much, you know? So anyway, that continued for a few years and that was the worst relationship I've ever had with alcohol. And that was the point in time that for me defines you know, the low point, that was where I felt the least, or I felt the most out of control of the relationship. Um, I couldn't like pull myself out of it. I couldn't stop when I wanted to stop. Um, it was definitely a bad dynamic with the two of us because he was, a, he had the same gene, you know, as they say, allergy or whatever, as I did. And so there was this really unhealthy, um, kind of taking turns of, you know, uh, instigating or um, what do they call it? Enabling, right? And, you know, there's a lot more kind of nuance that goes into it in terms of, um, you know, kind of context and, and otherwise. But, you know, that that was a low point for me. It was really dark. Um, it was it was also like, well, whatever not telling you about the relationship now, I'm telling you about the relationship to alcohol. So it was dark and I felt out of control and I was just like, I do not want to live like this. 
I never want to feel like this again. Um, this is not living. This is, um, this is just hard and it hurts, you know, it's, it's, that's what it is. That's what it is. And it's so bad for me. It's bad for everybody from a health standpoint, but it's really bad for certain people who have, you know, dependent personalities, who are alcoholics, who are, you know, addicted uh, personalities, quote unquote, like all that stuff. It's just especially bad to get entangled when you're that way, obviously. Right. So um, I, I called it at some point there, I, I don't remember any specific like moment in time. Um, but it was just like new year's Eve, I'm done. This is it. I'm doing a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. Um, and I, I could go back and read my journals. I might've said like, I'm going to do a month, you know, like dry January It might've been that, or I might've just said like, I'm done and I'm not, you know, putting a timeline on it. I don't remember. I'll have to go back and find that. Um, but I called it and um, I quit and my boyfriend did not. And as you can imagine, that created a split between us and slowly but surely, like I would be getting up in the morning and I would be going to exercise, go on run, do something in the morning and he would be sleeping and recovering. Right. Um, I would be... I don't know, going to bed early and he would be out still or, you know, these things. And, um, you know, bless him. I, I love him to this day. And, you know, it, it's got to be a personal decision. It's too, and this is part of the point. I think it was too hard for me to try to save him too. Right. I was like, I'm doing this for myself. I have to do this. You can come with me if you want. Um, so for the first year, I did not even have a tincture. I didn't even have kombucha. It was zero alcohol. Keep it away from me. I don't want to see it. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to taste it. Nothing. Um, and again, back then, like there were no alternatives to alcohol. I also still worked in ad agencies. I worked in fashion and everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> they were like, you, um, must be pregnant. I was like, no. And they were like, well then what is wrong with you? Like, why don't you drink? Um, but I didn't, I didn't even, you know, didn't even touch it. And it was needless to say the best decision of my life. Um, it was fantastic and, um, got easier over time. And then as anybody who's done this can attest, once you get ahead of it and you're like, I am not attached I don't do this. Um, at least for me, it was, I had no interest in going back. It was like, I, like, I don't, you know, that was hard enough and dark enough. And I just finally got my act together in terms of this relationship. You know, I changed the dynamic. Like, I don't want to go back to that. Um, however, because there was no scene and I was constantly like berated about this and also, you know, if you would, if you went out, like that's what people did. still. they went to bars or they went out to drink. Um, it was really isolating for me. I also, that relationship ended. 
I moved into my own apartment, um, which was far out in Brooklyn at the time. And um, it, I started to, to sense that I was so, you know, like I mentioned, when I'm single, I get, you know, my routine gets kind of perfect. Um, I was a little concerned about how rigid I was becoming um, and isolated, right? I was like, nothing's going to affect this perfect like situation that I have. Now, granted, I, my work-life balance was terrible <laughs> working all the time and it was super high stress and everything else. But I was like, I was raw, vegan. I did my first retreat that year. I was sober. You know, I was just like super extremely healthy. And it was like, I'll live this way forever if you let me live this way forever. But I like to, um, you know, I like to break down um, rigidity and sort of ways that we get stuck, right? And so I was starting to feel like I was stuck in good things, right? But it's my way. I always want to like break it, reshape it, break it, reshape it all for the better, right? And to test and learn things about yourself and expand yourself and grow. And this is all the things that I was writing about in this essay that I published on um, the Substack portal on Monday, right? Change, growth, change, growth. So I got to the end of the year and I was like, okay, I think that what I'm going to try next is balance with alcohol. So like sometimes I can have it if I want and sometimes I cannot. Like that to me seems like the perfect relationship. Not one where I'm not allowed to ever have it and obviously not one where I have too much of it, but one where I have balance. I was like, okay, that's the new challenge. I'm going to do this balance thing. And part of me was like, I really don't want to do that. I'd actually just rather never drink again. And another part of me was like, well, you could do that if you want in the future, but let's try this, you know? <laughs> so um, I basically made myself have a little bit of you know, alcohol on New Year's Eve. And I was like, this is gross and dumb. I'm going to bed. <laughs> and then, you know, slowly over the next um, few years or so, I did that, right? Like I strived to have balance. And I would say that that sometimes worked and sometimes didn't, but what I had to relearn because I probably already knew this, but what I had to relearn many, 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 many times is that for me and for people like me, there is a relationship with alcohol or substances that is different than for people who don't have the same genetics or nature and nurture, right? Who don't have the same proclivity. So for example, my husband now, he can have a drink or a few. Um, he can't really have a few anymore. <laughs> he can have like a one or a couple um, or not. And he does not give a shit if he does or if he doesn't. Doesn't care, doesn't think about it ahead of time, doesn't worry about it after the fact, unless he's had like, you know, one too many um, but it's a totally non-attached, non-troublesome relationship, right? It is, I don't know, it's like the relationship that you might have to, what, 
it's funny because we have this relationship to food or water. I'm trying to think. Like something you're like neutral on, like a carrot stick. I don't know. Like, sure, I'll have the carrot stick or not. I don't really care. <laughs> I don't know what the example is, but um, casual and unattached, right? For people like me, that is very difficult to achieve and sometimes impossible. And so for this whole period of time where I was trying balance, it was way too much of a conversation. It was like, am I going to have one? Am I not going to have one? Did I have too many? Should I have enough? Was that enough? Was that too much? That was too much. Um, I should just not have one tonight. Okay, I'm going to have one anyway. Wait a second. Does that mean that I'm dependent now? Do I need to break this habit? And that <laughs> goes on and on, right? Um, and the reality was that I was back in the place where I did not feel like I was in control of the relationship or I did not feel like I was where I wanted to be, which was unattached. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to care. That for me was true balance. I don't think about it. It's not a habit for me. Happy hour at nighttime flies by, maybe four nights fly by. And I'm like, oh, right. Alcohol. Hadn't thought about that. That to me was the goal. And I thought I can never have this. It is not in the cards for me. It's not in my blood. It's not in my nurture. Um, I've been programmed in a way that is not suitable for this, you know, kind of relationship. So, um, so then I basically just started to quit again <laughs> and I didn't do a kind of a hard line in the sand. Um, but I started to do more dry Januaries. Um, I did more kind of conscious, like not having it periods. Um, I was also like, anytime I go on a retreat, you know, I quit alcohol and caffeine and, you know, supplements often just things before you go on a retreat. Um, and again, I can't remember a point where I might've said like an absolute hard stop, um, but it started to really phase out of my life with intention. Um, I started to, one thing that was really helpful, so this is a funny thing, but it really works, is to have smaller servings. So we have these little shot glasses that we got in Oaxaca. Um, and I used, I, when I was doing this, I would use that for a glass of wine. It's like, I don't want a full glass of wine. I want this much, you know, like it's like a couple ounces. And slowly having less and less and less weaning down. And um, a couple of things happened that like kicked it over the edge for me. So one was the portions and the intentional, you know, um, scaling back. One was my dad died. And though the exact reasons why he died and how he died are a mystery. And we don't know, which sucks, obviously. Um, the reality is that it is most, the reality is that his alcoholism led him there. And another way to say that is that alcohol killed my dad. And that is very true and very motivating, right? So I was, you know, Christmas just a couple of weeks ago 
and somebody, which is crazy because they know they knew my dad, um, was like, why are you drinking? Have a drink. You have to have a drink with us. And like, it was kind of a cultural thing. They're like, we all do this. We used to do this with your dad. And, and I just kept saying like, no, no, thank you. Like zero interest, not, not having it. And I wanted to say, excuse me, <laughs> you knew my dad. You saw where this led. Why would you ask me? Why would you pressure me to have a drink? Like, no, <laughs> horrible. And they're not horrible. They're wonderful people. But for me, that is a very, very powerful reminder and demotivator, right? Demotivator. Um, the other thing that I have realized in retrospect is that I went on a couple of retreats in 2022, I think, 2021, something sometime around there to Costa Rica is the mushroom retreats I've talked about. And by that time, I, I basically didn't drink. And it had been quite a while, I think I must have, I must have really stopped like for the pandemic. And I don't know exactly, like I mentioned, I don't know exactly the time frame for that second phase out. But when I came back from the first retreat in Costa Rica, which involved a lot of mushrooms, meaning like a lot in quantity and also like multiple times per during the retreat, um, I noticed that my brain was very different. And I noticed that I really wasn't thinking about, you know, wine at all. I, by that point, I didn't drink any kind of liquor ever. Um, so I, I have to, like I mentioned, I think in retrospect, um, that was helpful too. I don't think, you know, look, some people have this experience. I don't think that like in the darkest of my days, I could have gone on a mushroom retreat and come back and been like, you know, just done with it. Maybe, maybe some people do, maybe I would have had to have a larger dose. Um, but there was this really subtle shift where I was just like, oh, wow, like I haven't even thought about it, you know, in a in a while. And then I went back and did another retreat. So I think those were really helpful. Um, also helpful, there there's a huge sober community now. There's all this positive reinforcement as opposed to the negative criticism and jesting and pressure that I endured when I actually quit, right? Um, there are all these alternatives, you know, I have like nine or I don't know, more, you know, cocktails downstairs, which I should do a show and tell with here. And they're all great and they're all non-alcoholic, you know? And when I quit in the beginning, I wasn't an herbalist yet. I didn't know about kava, <laughs> you know, I didn't, well, actually I did know about kava because I've known about that since I was a kid, but I didn't know as much as I do now. Let's say that I didn't know how many different um, herbal allies and supports there were for this whole process. Um, so now, and it's been, like I said, it's been many years now. Um, my, Balance is actually what I had hoped for, ultimately, which is 
by default, just like my certain, like my plant-basedness in my diet, right? By default, I don't drink alcohol. Do I have tinctures that have alcohol in them? Yes. Do I have kombucha? Periodically. There's a lot of sugar in kombucha. <laughs> so I don't often have it, but, um, you know, am I 100% don't let me smell it? No. Um, but by default, I don't drink alcohol periodically. I don't know. Um, maybe we go out to dinner. I mean, I, here's the thing. Now my tolerance is so low that I taste it. I can't drink a full, I, I don't, I choose not to drink a full glass of wine. Um, can't remember the last time I did that, honestly. Um, definitely don't do cocktails. Uh, but I taste them, you know, if, if I'm compelled to, or, you know, we're out somewhere special or, you know, there's some reason to, um, I would say that happens less than once a month, you know? And the greatest thing is that I don't think about alcohol. I don't think about having a drink, you know, at the end of the day or the end of the week or with brunch or with a meal. Um, the dynamic of that relationship. And as you've heard, it has been a battle. It has been one of the harder things that I've done in life is try, is wrestle with that relationship and try so many times to find balance and to hold on to it. And also, as you heard, and there are many quotes about this, balance continues to move and shift and change, right? It is not a static thing. It is a constant sort of process. So um, if I could go back and do it again, uh, or give myself some advice or inter, you know, intercept and, and, um, and affect the situation at all, I would have gotten in there, you know, well, I would have probably let the 15 year old do what the 15 year old was doing, but somewhere around college, and maybe this is helpful if this is you, or if this is someone, you know, Somewhere around college where it was like, you are adult enough to know that this is fire and you're playing with fire and you come from fire. You are fire. Actually, that was my nickname for a long time. Um, get it straight now. I, I would recommend that. I would recommend that. And it doesn't need to be necessarily, you know, you're sober your whole life, but it could be because like, do you want to waste that much time? Like wrestling with the monster like this and maybe losing. I would rather not like life is very short. Time is very precious. I would rather be thinking about other things. I would rather not ever think about whether I'm going to have a drink or not. And if it's enough and if I should or shouldn't have, right? Like how about just not having any of that? Also, anybody, you know, who's done this knows when you remove that kind of relationship from your life, this, this addiction to whatever you have, there is so much more time. You have more free time. You have less recovery time. You have way more time to think about other things. 
it is so much better. And it literally was, it was the one, one of the things I've done that was, that actually expanded time, gave me more life and more time. So, um, that's where we are now. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, and let's see what I would recommend for those who want to quit or cut back. Um, I, I would recommend if you are or suspect that you may be addicted to alcohol or anything or have that proclivity, um, then right away, just consider meetings, consider support groups and consider, uh, quitting sooner than later. And if you consider quitting, it maybe doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment, right? Now that depends on you, but if, you know, if you think you have a problem, quitting can be very instructive in terms of seeing how easy it is to do that, seeing how you feel when you are, you know, attached to it and on and on. It's learning, right? It's information. Um, I've also found this to be true with all sorts of relationships. There's way, way more energy in thinking about like stopping the thing, thinking about quitting, thinking about doing it, preparing to like maybe procrastinating, resisting all of that than actually just doing it. So as possible as it is for you to just do it, um, even if it's temporary, I would recommend that. It's easier on the other side of that jump. It's really, really hard to like lift your feet off the ground to like make that jump. But as soon as you get, you know, into the air and over the other side, it's like, okay, we did that part. Like the hardest part is over, right? Um, find replacements for alcohol or whatever it is, you know, you're looking to change the habit with. Um, look for social activities that don't revolve around that thing. Um, make dates in the morning, make dates midday instead of doing nighttime things or anything that's going to take you near your, um, trigger, right? It's a huge one. I still do that now. You know, it's like, I don't want to go out at night and like, I don't know, watch other people drink, like let's do something in the morning or do something during the day or whatever. Uh, hook into communities, um, get replacements in terms of products and um, things to do. I kind of already said that. And then if you need to be convinced of the value, because sometimes this is very motivating for people. If you're like, I'm not sure, or that I'm definitely not addicted to this thing, but I know it's not healthy for me. And so I probably should, but I don't know. If you need to be convinced of the value of detaching yourself from alcohol or anything else, then read some books or listen to podcasts. But there are lots of good books now. Um, Ruby Warrington, who helped to lead the Sober um, Curious movement, has a book called Sober Curious or Sober Curiosity. She's a great one to follow. Um, and there are more and more books every year now because this is a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. I wish that it was a thing so long ago when I quit and started to write, uh, write the balance and rewrite the relationship. So um, I see that some of you are here live, but I don't see any questions. So um, 
I think we'll probably wrap up because we're basically at an hour anyway. That was a lot of information. That was a lot of personal information. I'm very curious to know how you all feel about it and um, how you feel about learning those kinds of things about me. Um, and if you have questions or if you want to share any personal anecdotes, things that have worked for you, things that have not worked for you. Uh, and again, this could be related to alcohol or this could be related to um, anything that we have unhealthy attachment to or attachment to that we want to change. Just kind of scrolling through my notes to see if there's anything else. No, I think the only thing that, you know, I kind of wonder about in retrospect for myself is some of the years of these. I'm very, very bad at time. So I, I don't know, like, what was the year that I actually quit, quit? And like, when did some of these, um, when, what were some of the dates of some of these things? But whatever, it's the world I live in. Not sure about time all the time. So um, we will leave it at that. I will see everybody next week. Uh, same time, same place, but a reminder, it will be um, just audio. And I have your questions prepped for that. And I'm looking forward to it. I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of the week. Uh, as always, thank you again for being here. And I will see you